Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> it's like we're camping. It is like we're camping. We are, <laughs> we're in our closet. <laughs> It's a nice closet. It is. It's roomy. It's kind of comforting, actually, being surrounded by all my flannels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes you back to your days in Maine, <laughs> where flannel was considered formal wear. There was a girl that I went to high school with, and she wore a formal dress to prom with a flannel over it. And I was just like, you're the coolest girl I've ever seen. It's a slippery, slippery slope, though, from flannel to uh, camo. Yeah, the uh, the reason we're in the closet is because they are painting the building that we live in, and they've been painting right outside the window of our bedroom slash studio on a cherry picker for like three days now. Yeah, I kind of like this, though. Can we keep doing this? In, in the closet? Yeah, there's something so comforting about it. Well, that and the fact that I don't have to tear all the equipment down and move it into the other room again. Maybe Maybe we'll just leave it in here. As long as it sounds good. And maybe I'll just move my office into here and, and do any kind of work that I need to do on my computer because it's it's far less distracting. How much do you hate autocorrect? Um, a lot. Yeah. 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 Usually I will catch that before I send the email where mm -hmm. autocorrect has changed it to something completely nonsensical. Mm -hmm. But being as distracted as I am with all the beeping and the honking and the noise outside the window, I sent an email that was meant to say, please send me your payment confirmation. Mm -hmm. What I actually sent was, please send me your precious codfish wallet. <laughs> How? I, I don't know, but I'll tell you something. If they do send me their precious codfish wallet, I will treasure it. It'll become one of my prized possessions. It's going with me to Ecuador. <laughs> I have so many questions about what a codfish wallet might look like. Does it look like a whole fish, like it's back on zips? <laughs> or is it just... <laughs> Yeah. Is it made of codfish? Does it have pictures of codfish? And if it is made with, with codfish, what happens if you leave it in your car in the summertime? Not good things, I would think. Are you allowed to bring your codfish wallet into the work kitchen? 
or cross international boundaries with it. <laughs> so many questions. So little time to answer them. We talked about how I miss going first sometimes, mm -hmm. and I think today is a really good opportunity to to do that because this story, it's a little rough. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, Let's thank get you. the bad stuff out of the way. In 1922, just outside the small town of Hinterkaifeck, Germany. <gasps> oh, the, what, the Hinterkaifeck murder? Yes. Oh, okay. You know of this? I know of it, but... Have we talked about it? No, we have not talked about it. I uh, came across it in my early research and just kind of skimmed through it, so I know a little bit about it, but I know there's a lot of eerie unanswered questions. For sure. Yeah, well, let's get into it. Okay. So, the Hinterkaifeck farmstead was an isolated place. It was located near the woods outside the Bavarian town of Groburn, about an hour's drive from Munich and a half mile behind, or Hinter, the town of Kaifeck. It was the home of 35-year-old Victoria Gabriel and her two children, 7-year-old Kazilia and 2-year-old Joseph, as well as her older parents, Andreas and Kazilia Gruber. Also at the farm was a new employee, a maid, Maria Baumgartner. On April 1st, 1922, neighbors became worried when young Kazelia was absent from school. And then the entire family was absent from the church where Victoria sang in the choir. Still, neighbors saw smoke that continued to come out of the homestead chimney. But when the next day, Kazelia once again missed school, people noticed. On April 4th, Albert Hoffner dropped by to fix the family's food chopper. He didn't see or speak to any of the family. He likely assumed that they had left the farmstead for a bit. The, a food chopper? Like, like a Cuisinart? I assume it was a Vitamix. A 1920s Vitamix. Yeah. Okay. You know, you can make hot soup in those things. Oh, my God. That's why we bought it. So anyway, Hoffner is here. He's fixing the food chopper. And uh, he heard nothing on the farm except for the sounds of farm animals and the dog. So he decided just to get to work. And he stayed on the farm for several hours fixing this food chopper and didn't notice anything amiss. By this day, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, a wow. neighboring farmer. I, I love these names, Schlittenbauer and Baumgartner. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love this. It's a very German story. Baumgartner sounds like a rather unpleasant vocation, though. This uh, neighboring farmer was starting to become concerned that no one had heard from the family, and it was unlike them. So he and two other neighbors went to the farm again, but... It wasn't until they went into the barn that they found a grisly scene. The four brutally battered bodies of Andreas Gruber, his wife, Kazila, his daughter, Victoria, and granddaughter, Kazila, piled on top of each other and covered with hay. Oh, my God. Shortly after, they found the new maid, Maria Baumgartner, and the youngest family member, Victoria's son, Joseph, murdered in the home. Like the bodies in the barn, their bodies were covered. Maria's with her sheets and Joseph's with one of his mother's dresses. So what is the body count? Six. Wow. Including children. This is just, it's so horrific. It really is. Um, enough so that I'm not even going to go into detail about what had happened to their bodies because we don't need to. But mm. just know it's not good. It's very bad. Police determined that the killings had taken place four days earlier. 
All of the family members, aside from Joseph, had been found inside the barn with little to no signs of struggle, suggesting that each of them had somehow been lured there one by one and then killed. Hmm. So that would indicate that it was somebody that they either knew or somebody that they trusted. Not necessarily. If there was something that they were investigating, you know, what's that sound? Uh, Like lured into the... Okay. Right. Only the grandmother and victoria had been strangled to death Uh, police discovered that much of the damage done to the other bodies was by way of a pickaxe oh my god up oh that's grisly yeah as the investigation continued police realized that the animals were all in really good health and that the dog had been fed There was also evidence that several meals had been made and eaten inside the home prior to police arrival. They determined the killer had remained on the farm for several days, feeding the animals, eating meals, lighting fires in the hearth, living amongst the bodies. All right. So let's just kind of encapsulate this. Mm. Somebody comes in, murders six people, four of them with a pickaxe. Mm. And then goes in and makes himself some Hot Pockets? Yeah. That's cold. Well, the outside is, but the inside is molten lava hot. Did he leave the oven on? I was talking about the Hot Pocket. Hot Pocket. Yeah, I always get those burns in my mouth with Hot Pockets. Yeah. I've lost probably enough roof of my mouth skin to make a, a, a pair of shoes. Not very good shoes, but but shoes. Sure, sure. For very, very small feet. Right. So. I'm a a mouth cobbler. So as I said, uh, Maria was new. So police questioned the former maid who had quit six months earlier. She said she left because she believed the house was haunted. Hmm. She reported to the family hearing voices, hearing footsteps in the attic. Around the time the previous maid had quit, Andreas had noticed a set of house keys had gone missing. At one point, they found an unfamiliar newspaper in the home. No one had ever seen that or subscribed to that newspaper, and it just showed up. Plus, there were scratches on the family's tool shed, like someone had tried to pick the lock. So this was pre-depression era frogging. Ew, I hate that term and I hate the idea of it. And we watched that movie one time and I hated it. Mm. It was unsettling. It may have been that, but no one found anyone living inside the house. Hmm. I assume that if you hear noises come from the attic, you go to investigate and see that no one's in the attic. True. How many ghosts uh, will will skip out to town and pick up a, a morning paper? That is a great point. Although, don't get me wrong, it was ghosts. So are you... Z- <laughs> I was just going to confirm you're saying that it's not ghosts. No, it's a literate ghost who has a keen interest in current events. Oh, okay, okay. The investigation into the Hinterkaifeck murders was extensive, with over 100 suspects being considered at one point. And this is because this is obviously a horrific crime, especially in this day and age and in this quiet town. 
The police collected evidence and interviewed witnesses, but they were unable to identify a clear suspect. The crime scene was contaminated due to so many people having come to the farm, and some evidence was lost or destroyed during the investigation. Again, mm. 1922. The most significant pieces of evidence that they found were a letter in the Gruber's home, and that letter was addressed to Victoria. It was written in a strange dialect that no one was able to decipher. Hmm. It had no return address, and the identity of the sender was unknown. It was very cryptic, and it suggested that someone had been watching the family. Another piece of evidence was footprints that were found in the snow leading up to the farm. The footprints were made by someone wearing men's boots, and they suggested that someone had approached the farm from the nearby forest, which are also known as the Witch's Woods. The footprints, though, didn't lead to any concrete evidence. There's another theory that the murder was a result of a family feud. Andreas Gruber was known to have conflicts with his neighbors, and there were rumors that there were lots of disputes including one involving the parentage of little Joseph. Now, Victoria was a widow whose husband had died in World War I five years earlier. Mm. And little Joseph was only two. So who fathered little Joseph is still a mystery. Mm -hmm. And it's rumored that he is the son of Victoria and her father, Andreas. Or he's the son of a ghost. A ghost baby. He was a ghost baby, wasn't he? I would, I, I would certainly prefer that story than this one. Oh, I, I would definitely agree with that. There were also rumors that Victoria had had a relationship with the neighbor farmer, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, the man who had led the search party, and both had publicly referred to Joseph as their child. Now, the word on the street was they had planned to get married, but Andreas, the grandfather, had put the kibosh on that. There is clearly some some intrigue here. The police questioned Lorenz extensively, but were unable to conclusively place him at the crime scene. And despite the various theories, the lack of evidence and the very confusing crime scene has made it difficult to identify a suspect. The case remains unsolved, and it is unlikely that it will ever be solved. And it's been a hundred years. Right. That makes it mm. even tougher. It is a cold, cold, cold case. A very cold case. The Hinterkaifeck murders continue to fascinate and intrigue people. It's inspired books and films and documentaries. The files were closed in 1955. The house was demolished. And it just leaves us with this question about the truth that lies behind the brutal killings of six people on an isolated farm. Well, you were right about the uh, your topic being dark. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Wow, well, it's it is fascinating though that uh, something that happened a hundred years ago still captivates us uh, today. An unsolved crime like that, and I could I can't help but think that if it had happened now, mm. with DNA forensics and that sort of thing, yeah, we would uh, we'd have an answer pretty quickly. Well, it would be pretty tough to hang out in a farm feeding animals and dogs and enjoying your daily routine without leaving some DNA behind. Right. Especially after you've burned your mouth on a hot pocket. There you go. I hear that the highest concentration of DNA is in mouth roof skin. So I need to step carefully. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. 
and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. Here's something weird. Did you know in the 1840s, people used to say prunes instead of cheese when taking photographs? Not only is it hilarious to imagine a group of people gathered for a photo and shouting prunes instead of smiling, but it also reveals a lot about the culture of the time. You see, back then, big smiles were considered childish and inappropriate for a proper photograph. So to keep their mouths taut and serious, people opted for the prune alternative. This, of course, has caused a great deal of confusion for us here in the future. When you look back at these old photographs, it's common to wonder why everybody looks so sad. Did they not have cheese back then? 
So the next time you've gathered for a group photo, why not try saying prunes instead of cheese? You might just capture that perfect, serious, and stoic family portrait. This comes from Lauren. I'm writing you from Portland, the one in Oregon. Uh, uh? I, <laughs> I just assumed it was Portland, Maine. And then when you said Oregon, I was like, oh. Yeah, like, okay. Like, not... Not ugh, as in like okay. gross. All right. Just oh. I just wanted to clarify. Sorry. I've been listening to you for several months now, starting from episode one, since I am not a psychopath, and I am so thrilled to let you know that I am caught up. Oh my goodness. Whether that's a testament to my fortitude and perseverance or a glimpse into my sad life as a stay-at-home mom remains unknown. I just recently joined the Freaks Facebook group and had a baby boo effect. I was scrolling through my feed and I see a post someone shared on the group about how ostriches find humans more attractive than other ostriches. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of cool thing. I mean, you can hear stuff like that on the box of oddities, but uh, the freaks, man, they find stuff like that all the time in the freaks uh, a box of oddities Facebook group. She goes on to say, I then look up from my phone to see my kids are watching TV and it's America's funniest uh, home videos featuring an ostrich. <laughs> my first boo effect. But wait, there's more. While bowling in my Tuesday morning league, I was listening to episode 528. Lauren, you're so cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. You have a Tuesday morning bowling league? That's incredible. <laughs> Tell me everything. I was listening to Box 528 when Cat opens about asparagus pee. And since there are some people who can't smell asparagus pee, it is a question of whether the person doesn't produce asparagus pee or that they are unable to detect asparagus pee. Mm. Holy shit. About a week ago, I made ribeyes with sautéed asparagus for dinner. Steak and asparagus is, an, is a rarity for us as my husband has gout and I don't take pleasure in torturing him in this manner. <laughs> and we have two school-aged children who consider corn dogs a delicacy. So later that night, I'm sitting on my thinking seat and I have the exact thought. <laughs> Not just about asparagus pee, but whether the people who can't smell it either don't produce it or simply can't detect it. Further, I thought, well... It's not like they'd have the opportunity to smell anyone else's asparagus pee, which is exactly what Jethro pointed out. <laughs> oh my God, I had a mini freak out and have never felt so close to you guys. <laughs> Compound those incidents with the fact that I am finally caught up with all 538 episodes and I just knew I had to write to you. I've enjoyed every minute of this freak ride with you two as my captains. Well, I probably could have done without the 10-year-old cannibal sacrifice story since I have a 9-year-old daughter, mm. Shiver. Yeah, that was a dark one. But the gems you've implanted in my brain come in handy on an almost daily basis. Just the other day while hanging out with some foodie friends, the husband claims that he would eat anything, so I challenged him with the leg meat fajitas conundrum. <laughs> After much debate, he resigned that he probably would not be able to do it. I'm so glad to have found your podcast, thanks to Dan and Lindsay on Scared to Death, and look forward to hearing your stories twice a week instead of multiple hours a day. <laughs> However, now I have to find a new podcast to binge. Might we suggest The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toth? <laughs> hope to continue. I hope you continue this pod for a long, long time, continue to love each other with your unique combination of fierce intensity and sweet playfulness. It really is a joy to listen to you too. Your freak to the end. Lauren B. from Portland, Oregon. Oh my gosh, Lauren, that was very nice. 
We love hearing from you guys. Curator at the box of oddities.com, either there or any of our social media platforms. We got this message on Instagram from Al S. MBA. Hello, slight boo effect here. I listened to box 538 on my drive into work this morning where Kat's talking about the Avia viviparis lizards. During my lunch break, I'll occasionally scroll through live science for interesting articles. Same, Al, same. I came across one today about a weird demon shark, so naturally I wanted to learn more about that. (laughs) Though it's not exactly the same as the lizard, I found it interesting that the article said most sharks give birth to live young, while others, such as this demon shark, are oviparous, though this species' egg case is different from others. Anyways, I love hearing interesting animal facts on the podcast and wanted to share. Thanks for all the research you both do for this podcast, which makes my long daily work commute bearable. Alicia. Thanks, Alicia. We appreciate that. And we do do a lot of research and prep to write these things, even though we got a one-star review this week that said, they just read verbatim from Wikipedia. We don't do that. I mean, we, we quote from different sources, and that includes Wikipedia, but... Maybe we should do that. It would be so much easier to just read an just article. Just to read a Wikipedia page? Wik- re- Holy shit, Weed yeah. a Wikipedia page. Read a Wikipedia page. We, we, yeah. Oh, my God. The, <laughs> the time that would save me. Oftentimes, I'll go to Wikipedia, I'll see that something's cited, and I'll go to that reference. Right. Like, I don't see why that's debatable. Like, you, why is someone so mad that I use Wikipedia as a place to find references? Calm down. <laughs> and also, we're not writing a thesis. Yeah. I know? mean, neither of us are professionals of anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, really. Like, that's so true. It's so funny, though, the difference between the way you react to negative reviews about you and negative reviews about me. You, you see one and you're like, you know, I said the thing wrong. And I'm like, oh, someone else pointed that out. Mm-hmm. Nah, don't mm-hmm. worry about it. And you're like, Ugh. but someone says something negative about me. And you're like, it's so ridiculous that I can't comment back. I want to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, All right, sir. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I made the blunder of trans... I'm mildly dyslexic. As am I. As are you. And uh, and this, the story about uh, King Louis XVI's blood, uh, curse of his blood, I transposed the Roman numerals and said Louis XIV mm-hmm. instead of Louis XVI. Oh, people were mad. Oh, we got, I got one. Let me just read this one to you. <laughs> the male host... I'm the male host. Yeah. Uh, prattled on for 15 minutes or so, describing the tragic life of Louis the Fourteenth. Except it was he was really talking about Louis the Sixteenth. He described the death of Louis the Fourteenth by guillotine in the Revolution. Louis the Fourteenth was the Sun King and preceded Louis the Sixteenth by two generations. It was Louis the Sixteenth who died in the Revolution. I kept waiting for the host to correct himself, but it never happened. He totally screwed this up and is completely unaware, I guess. This is what happens when you use, for your main source of information, Wikipedia. (laughs) And uh, then he says, it's Louis the 16th, knit Louis the 14th. Mm. (laughs) You misspelled not. (laughs) But then he left a second review calling it the Wikipedia show. (laughs) That's the same guy? Yeah. Oh. Well, he's busy. Oh, yeah. 
Because that's the one that said that we just read I know. Wikipedia pages. Wow. I didn't even know you could leave two reviews. Yeah, you're right. It's the same guy. Yeah. Hey, JJP173, <laughs> um, would you kindly provide a link to your podcast so we can offer you some criticism? Stop. I realize that, I mean, f- for some people, this podcast just isn't it because we are not journalists. You know, we, we do the best that we can with the yeah. resources we have available to us. For the love of God, we're sitting in our closet. <laughs> we're surrounded by flannels. This is a bag of socks. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I feel I feel a little bit better knowing that because uh, we got two one star reviews right in a row in a row, yeah. and I'm like, wow, that, that doesn't happen. Doesn't often. happen. We're very fortunate. We you know we we score like four point nine out of five on Apple Podcasts. And so it is, you know, we're fortunate that it's unusual mm. to get two one stars in a row. And now that you've pointed out that it's the same guy. Or gal, we don't know. Probably guy. It oddly makes me feel better. Oh, all right. I also rarely read the reviews for this exact reason. Sure. Anyway, enough of that prattling. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please don't listen to this podcast while operating heavy machinery because, you know, you couldn't hear the stories. This is The Box of Oddities. Do you have a fun story for us today? Yeah, well, not kind of. I guess It's not as dark as yours. Okay. But it's not fun. Oh. Our story begins in the winter of 1803 in Hammersmith, West London. They found themselves under siege by a ghostly figure. This spectral apparition, dressed in white, was rumored to terrorize the locals by night, leaping out of shadows and assaulting unsuspecting pedestrians. Almost like if it was like Casper the Friendly Ghost had gone rogue and developed a penchant for British nightlife. (laughs) As the Hammersmith ghost continued to haunt the streets, reports of its eerie manifestations became more detailed, uh, more varied, adding fuel to a growing hysteria. Witnesses claimed that they saw the ghost in various guises, from a tall, cloaked figure with a demonic face to a shrouded specter with glowing eyes. 
According to Paranormal Chronicles of the United Kingdom, some even insisted that the apparition could change its form at will, which added a touch of supernatural flair to an already gripping tale. So this is London in the early 1800s. London had a real hard time for a while there. It did. Lots of ghosts, lots of butts being stabbed with hat pins. Everything smelled bad. Everything smelled bad. In one particularly spine-tingling account, Mm -hmm. a woman recounted how the ghost had accosted her on a deserted street. He actually picked her up off the ground, shook her violently, and then just disappeared into thin air with her dropping to the ground. Ooh, like the way that sounds. Daddy ghost. (laughs) (laughs) According to Haunted Hammersmith Historical Society, uh, a group of men claimed that they had chased the elusive specter through a graveyard only for the ghost to vanish into thin air when they were closing in. As time went on, with each passing day, the Hammersmith ghost seemed to grow bolder and more sinister, causing the citizens of the town to become increasingly desperate. It became a bit of a hysteria. The ghost encounters, whether based in truth or fueled by the power of suggestion, painted a vivid and terrifying picture of a supernatural being hell-bent on spreading fear and chaos. So, what is it, though? Well, that was the big question. Everybody was afraid, but despite the fear and panic these sightings provoked, the Hammersmith ghost managed to inspire a peculiar sense of amusement among the town folk. Okay. (laughs) After all... (laughs) Did you hear Betsy got picked up and shaken? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what it was. That's weird. People would make fun of other people who, uh, I guess they found it comical, the image of grown men and women running through graveyards and dark alleys in pursuit of a phantom menace. It's kind of like a combination of a gothic horror novel and slapstick comedy. It's like if Jim Carrey starred in Edgar Allan Poe's A Telltale Heart. (laughs) It's macabre and absurd. That's interesting. It's twice that Telltale Heart has come up today. As fear gripped the community, the ghost became the talk of the town. Newspaper reports, tavern gossip, It all fueled the hysteria. According to articles in historical newspapers of the United Kingdom, no one was safe. The panic soon reached fever pitch. The people of Hammersmith were desperate for a solution. They decided it was time to take matters into their own hands. At this point, the stories of the specter were happening multiple times daily. It was really reaching a fever pitch. Was this only during the night times or were there daytime attacks as well? Mostly at night. Okay. And mostly just in this neighborhood, Hammersmith. With authorities proving to be about as useful as a chocolate teapot, the citizens of Hammersmith banded together to form vigilante groups. These self-appointed pre-Victorian ghostbusters would uh, patrol the streets at night armed with anything from makeshift weapons to uh, one person had their grandmother's knitting needles. They were hunting a ghost with knitting needles. I don't know if that's going to be effective, guys. You, you work with what you have. Their mission, of course, was to capture the elusive Hammersmith ghost and restore peace to their terrorized town. <laughs> the uh, makeshift patrols with their diverse array of weaponry provided a comical sight. The farcical nature of these vigilante groups only added an increased touch of absurdity to an already very bizarre situation. (laughs) And among the ranks of these intrepid ghostbusters was a guy named Francis Smith. 
His enthusiasm for ghost hunting would ultimately prove to be his undoing. No. On one fateful night, January 3rd, 1804, Smith, armed with a shotgun, patrolled the streets in search of the ghost. As fate would have it, he stumbled upon a figure, dressed all in white, shuffling toward him from a side alley. In a panic, he fired his gun, and he was convinced he had finally cornered the ghost that had been tormenting his community. Unfortunately, oh, no. the uh, ghost in white was not the Phantom Menace, as he was anticipating, but he was an innocent bricklayer named Thomas Millwood who was dressed in his work clothes, coming home from a hard day's work. Oh, did the bricklayer die? Yes, I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, the bricklayer didn't didn't pull through. Oh. Something about shotguns at close range. So the ill-advised shooting of Millwood led to his arrest, led to Smith's arrest, and subsequent trial for willful murder. But the trial itself proved to be a pretty bizarre affair. Witnesses testified to their belief in the Hammer Smith ghost and Smith's genuine intent to protect the community. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that that's, that's bad business. I think you should know what you're shooting at before you shoot it. Bottom line. The jury was swayed by these tales of Ew. supernatural terror. They found Smith guilty of just manslaughter, a verdict that the presiding judge promptly dismissed. In a bizarre twist, the judge argued that the law did not recognize such a, ver a verdict in cases of willful murder, prompting the jury to reconsider their decision. So they went back into deliberation. I'm sorry, just to clarify, the jury came back with a verdict and the judge was like, no, not that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I've never heard of such a thing. Well, it was Britain in the early 19th century. Love it. So after they deliberated further, the jury returned with a verdict of guilty, but this time for murder. But then the judge, sensed that the case had spiraled into the realm of absurd, showed some leniency and sentenced Smith to a year of hard labor. It seemed that the Hammersmith ghost had not only terrorized the town, but also bewitched the legal system. Very strange. It is. Now, we don't know what this is all about. The true identity of the Hammersmith ghost remains as elusive as the murderer of your previous tale. Mm. Was it just a prankster with a twisted sense of humor? Or an individual suffering from a severe case of moonlight madness? Theories, well, there are plenty of them. But conclusive evidence remains out of reach. The Hammersmith Ghost Saga serves as a bit of a reminder of the power of fear, superstition, as well as the human imagination. It appears that the good people of Hammersmith had heard the same stories and the same accounts repeated over and over from friends and neighbors, creating a bit of an information feedback loop. Even when confronted with the facts and the truth, they continued to believe that the ghost was real Ugh. and that those who claimed that there was no ghost were lying. Consequently, the vigilante mobs continued to patrol the streets to protect their community. Or with the idea that they were protecting their community. With knitting needles. Ooh, that's dangerous. The story of these vigilante groups that attempted to catch the Hammersmith ghost has taken on a life of its own. The absurdity of the actions serve almost as a comedic foil to the terror of ghostly encounters. 
So the Hammersmith Ghost, the story of the Hammersmith Ghost is a curious combination of the chilling and the comical, the hysteria that it generated and the subsequent misguided actions of the vigilante groups Mm. make for a fascinating case of human behavior in the face of the unknown. And while the true identity of the ghost may never be revealed, one thing is certain, the Hammersmith Ghost will forever hold a special place in the annals of British supernatural lore. Annals. Where fact and fiction blur and the lines between terror and humor are hauntingly thin. Wow. That got very storybooky toward the end. My source information, historical newspapers of the United Kingdom, London Old Bailey Proceedings Online, Paranormal Chronicles of the UK, and Haunted Hammersmith Historical Society. My goodness. I think the lesson here is uh, try to expand your sources. Maybe don't get all your information from Wikipedia. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A little fine. (laughs) Before we close this uh, edition of the Box of Oddities, want to welcome our latest members to the Order of Freaks. Sabrina and Milo joined us on Patreon, and uh, they get to take advantage of lots of benefits like ad-free episodes, Zoom meetings, bonus episodes, and the like. If you'd like to support the podcast and garner some of those benefits and also become a member of the Order of Freaks, go to theboxofoddities.com. You'll find the info there. Now, we should probably wrap this up because I left my precious codfish wallet in my car. Also, this closet's getting very warm. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag fly it proudly you beautiful freak and so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands henceforth the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange the bizarre the unexpected we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage theboxofoddities.com on facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on twitter at box of oddities and instagram at box of oddities podcast copyright 2023 all rights reserved what's up yo uh, <clears throat> I was looking for my phone. I wanted to look something up. Is it in your butt? No, it's not in my butt this time. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well... I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. 
join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.